With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Three, two, welcome to the 10-12, the podcast that covers all 10 teams in the Big 12 Conference. I'm your host, Philip Slavin. Thank you for joining us on this Monday. It is a Monday, and that means with me, as they always are, my good friends, Jamie Steyer. Hello, Philip. Uh, I am upset about the terrible cake I just baked, but besides that, I'm very happy to be here. My wife made a fantastic taco cake for Pippa's second birthday, or the ten twelve toddler, as we rub it in here. Uh, and it was it was amaze balls. It really was. It's freaking awesome. Uh, and of course, Andy Mitts. Yeah, I'm. Uh, you know, we're, we're we're doing this while the Bills and Chiefs are playing. And uh, the last two times we did this while the Chiefs were playing, the Chiefs stunk it up horribly. So if I get unreasonably mad at this, you know, while I'm on the podcast, I think you know why. I would just like to note, I gave Andy an out. I literally said, we will find someone else to fill in. I've been telling him this since last Sunday. And he's like, nope, no, I'm going to do it. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be here. So if the Chiefs lose while you're up here, it's on you, Fred. It's not us. We, we try oh, no, 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 no. If, if it looks like the Chiefs are going to lose, I'm just going to bail and run downstairs. So so if for some reason Andy disappears at some point in the show, um, you will understand why. And you will already have known why. And at some point, like, let's say the Chiefs have lost and someone listening on Monday going, ooh, I can't wait till they hit the point where the Chiefs lose. That'll be fun. But they won't lose. I'm just going to say it. Right, let's, let's move on from there. Okay. Let's talk a little hoops. And let's start with our uh, our teams of the week. We'll start with the men's. Uh, I, I am awarding this week's team of the week. I got to get, like, a graphic or a sponsor for this, something. I don't know. To one of the only, one of the few teams that actually played two games this week, because again, for second straight week, we only had five of ten games played, we're awarding it to the Oklahoma Sooners. OU, who went 2-0 this week. They start their week off with a 26-point win over Kansas State. Look, I, I know that's not much. Kansas State's not very good this year. But considering what's been happening with road and home teams, getting a large win at home over a bad team is nice. But then they follow it up. You know, the first time Oklahoma and Kansas faced off, Kansas eked out a win. This time in Norman, Oklahoma gets the better of Kansas, 75-68 to 68 in, a, in a big win for Oklahoma and, frankly, the best win on their resume thus far. Uh, and one that, if you've been looking at uh, bracketologies up to this point, and I realize it's still early, but I think most of them have had Oklahoma in, kind of in that like 9-10 spot. This is the kind of win on your resume, a nice quad one win, even at home, that uh, that boosts you up a seat. Uh, honestly, I think so. So I think this was a huge win for Oklahoma. Uh, big night for Davion Harmon. I mean, dude, bravo. 7 of 14, 4 of 9 from 3, perfect for the free throw line. Charity stripe. We just call it charity stripe. Free throw line. God. 
Uh, 22 point performance. Uh, this was this was a really good performance from Oklahoma. Kansas is is good. We'll talk about Kansas here in a minute. Um, but look, that's a, this is a good week for OU. They're now nine and four overall. This was a resume building win. I am I am impressed. Um, and I think this is the kind of win that helps the Big 12 get one step closer to locking up seven potential NCAA tournament teams. Yeah, I mean, I have to agree there. Yes, I, I was not very happy with the way that that game went on Saturday, obviously being a KU fan. Um, and I have my, I think, legitimate gripes with the way that the officiating was in that particular game. But I also have to admit that, uh, you know, that was not the reason that they lost as much as I would like to potentially blame them for that. Uh, for that. Oklahoma played really well overall, even without Austin Reeves or Brady Manick having a good game on that Saturday game. And so when you can beat another, you know, good team in the conference without your two best players really playing very well for the vast majority of that game, like it, it is, it is definitely something uh, to, to be proud of. And like you said, like this was a very good win for them, puts them exactly where they need to be to have an opportunity to make a run to the big 12 or I'm sorry, to the NCAA tournament. Um, so it's going to be, it's going to be interesting to see how they finish out the season. Obviously they have a very, very tough stretch coming up here. Um, you know, I'm looking at their next few games. They have Texas coming up on Tuesday, uh, Alabama on Saturday as part of the big 12 SEC challenge. Uh, then they're going to Texas tech. Uh, and then they get a little bit of a break with Iowa state before Baylor, West Virginia and Texas again. So it is going to be a rough slate for them. They really need to, like, they needed this one to set them up really, really well for this next stretch. Because I'm going to be honest, if they don't win, you know, if they go one in six, this is at least the feather in their cap now that they can say, look, we we have jumped up and gotten some of the better teams. And, you know, we just played a murderer's row in this in this, you know, middle stretch of the conference schedule here. Yeah, I mean, you look at it, and obviously the other contender would be Baylor for the team of the league. And, I mean, they had a couple of really great victories. But I think just the implications are so much more for Oklahoma, where Baylor, we've been seeing them play so consistently all year that now you kind of look at it and you're like, okay, they're still doing it, which whether that's fair or not, that's kind of the reality they're in right now. Uh, But Oklahoma, I mean – when you have the opportunity to say, all right, you know, we're here, we're going to get, like you said, any of these really good wins where you can look at it later in the season and whatever they're going to deal with here for the next couple of weeks, those are, especially that win over Kansas, you can look back on it and be like, okay, that's, that's pretty legit. Yeah. Uh, at the, uh, as of Sunday night, Oklahoma now 25 in the net rankings, uh, and I believe 23, no, 22 in Ken Palm. So Oklahoma's sitting in a really good spot uh, at this point in the season. You are right, though. The stretch they have coming up at Texas, Alabama, who looks like they're probably going to win the SEC. I think they had a two-game lead last time I checked, and they are. Hope you guys can defend the three. Uh, at Texas Tech, Iowa State at home, that Baylor at West Virginia and Texas. That is a... That is a gauntlet. That is a gnarly, gnarly stretch of games. Uh, we're going to talk about the end of their schedule because we're going to have a little talk about the Big 12 and scheduling and what's going on here in a few minutes. Um, but, I, yeah, I think Oklahoma deserves the team of the week, um, and they're going to have an opportunity to, to, to rack it up again with two huge games coming up this week. Um, Jamie, 
a good friend. Who's our uh, Who's our Big Twelve Women's Team of the Week? Well, um, I would like to be commended for being able to remove personal bias for this because uh, there's really not another option besides Texas. And as much as that hurts, considering the game that Iowa State played against them. Andy, we are of the same mind regarding our team's games because Iowa State's game against Texas was extremely poorly officiated, but it was kind of poorly officiated on both ends. That's really not what you can point at as to why we lost. Um, So Texas, I mean, they had a bunch of people in foul trouble. We had people in foul trouble. It was a mess of a game. For as beautiful as the Iowa State versus Baylor game was, Iowa State versus Texas, I never want to watch a game like that again. Uh, and not just because of the loss. But Texas had really a heck of a week. Um, basically put themselves in a position with beating Iowa State for the second time and taking care of business against TCU, um, where they're still in the conversation for the top of the rankings, which they don't play Baylor until February twice. So it'll be really interesting to see what happens there because I frankly think that Texas has a great shot at beating Baylor. Now, I could be wrong. It'll depend on the guard play, but Baylor generally is really, really strong in the post, and this year they just aren't as strong as they usually are. They have really talented players, but they tend to get in foul trouble, and they're a little bit greener than usual. So Texas has a heck of a post in Charlie Collier. And could have a good shot at them. Anyway, getting ahead of myself, but those couple wins were big. Even though Texas is still sitting at fourth in the conference behind Baylor, Iowa State, and West Virginia, they, I mean, they've got a really good shot of staying up there and jumping a little bit too. I I am going to say, I I don't know that I can agree with you though about the officiating being bad on both sides in both of those games. So um, while oh, no, while it was definitely that way for 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 Iowa State and Texas, uh, based off of what <laughs> you're saying, um, you know, I, I will I will agree though that Big Twelve officiating, as usual, has not been very very good, whether it's being applied fairly to both teams or not. If you're missing like your Broadway acting, I would recommend watching that horrific Iowa State Texas game and seeing some of the flops that occurred on that floor. Oh gosh, I was surprised. I saw my first <laughs> flop call, like actually officiating flop call oh, I wish I could in the Kansas Oklahoma game and yet they didn't actually penalize him for it. They basically just blew the whistle to say, "Oh yeah, by the they way, this guy flopped." One. And that was it. Cuz the first one's a warning. You got to call the second. Yeah, I, I still don't like it. They like stopped play. <laughs> To, to basically say, hey, he flopped. <laughs> you know, you, you could argue that the Big 12 referees are consistently inconsistent, which, you know. Well, look, look, the Big 12 <laughs> ref Twitter account is not just there for football. Yeah. 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 Um, I digress. Texas had a great week. It's fine. We are very excited to have a new sponsor for the 1012 podcast to start 2021. And that is Manscaped, the best in men's below the waist grooming. Manscaped offers precision engineered tools for your family jewels, specifically the lawnmower 3.0. Now, I understand family jewels, weird things to say, ha ha ha. We all love to make jokes about personal grooming. 
But let's get real for just a second. We've all tried. We've all struggled. It's not the easiest thing to do. Manscaped makes it easy. I'm not talking about going smooth as a baby's bottom. However you want it to be, whatever is most comfortable to you, I have a comfort level. I have now been able to reach easier than ever before. I'm sure you have one as well. So do yourself a favor and go check out the Lawnmower 3.0. Third generation trimmer features a cutting edge ceramic blade to reduce grooming accidents. It's got a little LED light, which makes things easier to see. It's got a really quiet motor. It ain't loud. Easy to charge, easy to use, incredibly comfortable, incredibly well-designed specifically for you and me, guys. The lawnmower is not the only thing that's great about them. They've got other trimming products, including for your uh, nose and ear, which let me tell you, as you get older, as I have, once you start dealing with those ear hairs, you're going to thank me for going to Manscaped. So go to manscaped.com, M-A-N-S-C-A-P-E-D. Get 20% off and free shipping with the promo code 1012. Okay, 20% off, free shipping at manscaped.com when you use promo code 1012, T-E-N-1-2. You are going to like this. This is going to be something you are really happy to have in your arsenal. So, manscaped.com, promo code 1012, 20% off, free shipping. And let me just say, you are never going to be more comfortable than you will after a Manscaped shave. So before we move on here, um, and I want to talk Kansas in a minute. We talked last week about whether or not the Big 12 should cancel the conference championship game. Uh, Matt Norlander had a really nice article that he put out this past week at CBS Sports asking coaches um, around college basketball what, what they thought about it. I mean, it feels like a decision regarding that's going to have to come in the next few weeks if that decision is going to get made. But in the meantime, the Big 12 has been rescheduling um, some of the postponed regular season games. And I just I just want to point out some, some things. Um, a lot of teams are now going to end up playing three games in a, a seven-day period or less. In fact, Iowa State has to play three games in a five-day period in the, it, during the season at TCU on February 9th, at Kansas on February 11th, Kansas on February 13th. So road game, road game, home game in a five-day period. That's, that's, and it's not like going to TCU and going to Kansas for Iowa State. It's an, an easy trek either one. I understand Kansas is closer, but that's that doesn't really matter. Oh, you can talk about Oklahoma State who has to end their season on uh, February 20th at Baylor. Then, three days later, gets to visit Texas Tech. Then, two days later, they face Oklahoma before two days later going to Oklahoma to finish their regular season. Um, West Virginia, <laughs> oh, man, I'm sorry, guys. Like, I'm real sorry. Uh, on the 15th of February, they will face Baylor. They will turn around three days later and travel to Baylor. And then two days later, they will travel to Texas. Forget the fact that this is going to benefit some teams and others, that this might put your conference in jeopardy of compiling a bunch of losses that's going to go take you from seven teams getting into the NCAA tournament to fewer than that because teams are just going to get beat up. You're telling me that you're putting players and player safety first by stating that it's okay for teams to play that many games beyond the roads to different locations that often, that quick, and that kind of turnaround is good for teams and players, is good for their health, I will not be shocked if you see a number of injuries on Big 12 teams at the end of the regular season because the amount of strain that's going to be put on them for that much travel, that much play, 
in a short amount of time, if you're going to either see injuries or you're going to see teams that just get dropped in the NCAA tournament quick because they're too damn tired. This is pissing me off. This is done so poorly. I'm sorry. I am. I It's COVID, and we got to roll with the punches. Cool beans. I'm ready to roll. We've been rolling since March of last year. We're all rolling hard. Most of us are. Some people have given up months ago. The point of the matter is I get that things are weird and difficult and you have to make the most out of them. I understand trying to cram all the regular season games, get them all played. Let's not cram it. Get them all played. But trying to cram them all in and make sure you get your Big 12 tournament in, I think this is going to backfire in ways that really, really negatively affect these players. I think I saw somebody say, you know, we want the players really want to get all these games in. I'm sure they do. I agree. I want to get all the regular season games in. I'm sure they want to play in the Big 12 tournament. I'm sure that's something that they all want to do. And I get all those things. But you're the grown-ups in the room. Try and act like it. And actually act like you give a crap about these players. Because I'm sorry, you can tell me that's just part of it. But no, it's not. This does not seem like it's in the best interest of the players. It doesn't. It doesn't at all. Oklahoma, from the 20th through the 27th, is going to go to Iowa State, go to Kansas State, go to Oklahoma State, and face Oklahoma State. I I just don't, you can't tell me that's in the best interest of anybody. And we're not done getting games canceled. There's no way you're going to get all the way. I just, this is, it, it bothers me a lot. I, I'm, I'm, maybe nothing bad happens from this. I just don't buy it. This is a terrible decision on, on the part uh, of the club. To be honest though, Philip, I'm not surprised. Like, yes, we knew this was going to suck when it was going to happen, but we knew inevitably it was going to happen because, you know, the, the, despite the fact that a lot of people are saying, well, they should just cancel the conference tournament, you know, and make up the games at that point. It's like one by canceling the conference tournament, you're essentially freeing up three ga- three days. Right. Um, that's it. You're not really freeing up that much. You're not giving them that much of an opportunity to make up these games. So if they're going to make up the games, which I think everybody agrees is what they need to do, even though it sucks, it creates these types of schedules. You have to do it this way. You have to start playing three because, like you said, there is absolutely no way that we're not going to have any other games postponed or canceled from this point forward. So if you don't start making up the games now, if you don't start scheduling the three a week now, then you're going to come to a point where right before the Big 12 tournament or right in that window, if you end up canceling the Big 12 tournament, you're still having to play four or five games in like a week and a half in order to get them all in. And so, I mean, I think it's much better to plan for this type of stuff now so that you at least have the structure set up to be able to make these games up, you know, rather than trying to cram a bunch of them in, like, you know, that 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 contingency plan that we talked about last week, you know, that that may be crazy, may not be crazy, where you bring everybody in basically immediately after the season, get people quarantined for a few days, start doing a whole bunch of tests to see who's available to play, and then make up a bunch of games right before the Big 12 tournament while everybody's sitting there in, in a bubble. Like, that... That only becomes possible if you don't have six or seven games for teams to make up, which means that we need to start making sure that we're not going to stockpile a ton of games for each of these teams, and that's going to require these these three weeks. I realize it sucks. Pretty much every team is going to have to deal with this at some point throughout the rest of the season, and kind of like we've seen everywhere else in sports with COVID is that certain teams are going to get completely screwed because of COVID reschedulings, and you know we've already started to kind of see that. 
you know, I think it's kind of ridiculous that Kansas is, is playing Iowa State at home on Thursday, February 11th, and then going two days later up to Ames to play Iowa State again on Saturday, February 13th. Like, these back-to-back games for the same team is honestly extremely ridiculous to me, but it's kind of one of those things that has to happen if we want to get all of them in. I can tell you right now, they are not going to cancel the Big 12 tournament again unless they absolutely have to because they need the revenue after what happened last year. They can't afford to not have the tournament. The tournament itself brings in a lot more money than regular season games. So while we think that the regular season games are more important for them to finish the season, finish that schedule, I, I can guarantee you every single person in the conference that, that deals with the actual conference itself and their business realizes that conference tournament is so much more important. And also the coaches, I think themselves would rather have the tournament unless they're 100% safely in the turn- in the NCAA tournament and don't need it. Because a lot of these coaches would much rather, instead of finishing out their their conference season, would take a you know a seed drop of one or two in the conference tournament, but still have an opportunity to play their way into the NCAA tournament. Yeah, I mean, look, like I've talked. I don't know if I've talked about it on here. I've talked about it on Twitter. Like, I have watched a lot of basketball. I follow everything really closely. This year, like, I don't have answers. Like, I don't have the capacity to try and come up with a better solution. There might be one. I don't have one. Do I think this is the be-all, end-all? Probably not. I mean, my biggest concern, having been around college athletics for so long, and I mean, part of that is when I was a kid. Yeah. But in that time, I've seen a lot of people get hurt. I've seen a lot of people go through um, a lot of pretty terrible injuries, and generally they're not preventable. Um, if they are, and if they do come as a result of playing so many games in a short span of time, that would be really a travesty. Um, but at the same time, I don't really know what the alternative is. And I think that's because no matter how long we go into this, it's still kind of uncharted territory. We didn't have a regular season during COVID last year, so it's not like they've got that to go off of. And no one put together this exact comprehensive plan where you can look at a chart and say, okay, if a game is canceled on this day, we're going to move it to this day. If the second game is canceled on this day, we're moving it to this day. Everyone's just kind of having to make it up as they go along. And as much as that's dissatisfying and as much as then you can nitpick at it with great reason, uh, I just, I just don't know what the alternative is. And so my, what I just need to hold on to is hoping that there's not a lot more games canceled and hoping that people don't get hurt and hoping that people don't just end up with more positives or with injuries or something like that. And just hoping we get through these last couple months. And then next year, have a normal season. All right, Jamie, uh, you made an interesting point on Twitter, and I wanted to give you a minute to soapbox um, about the idea of, you know, that we're dealing with the fact that I understand some people just aren't going to care about women's sports. It's just not going to. Um, Whether that's because they're just not going to give it a chance for some sexist reason, or they're the kind of people who just, they care about certain things and, and, women's teams don't fall in that category and i'm not trying to say this is like you should all care about all women's sports and watch all of them like I, that's not where i'm going with this in any way shape or form but there is a certain amount of like what are ways you can get more people interested in at least giving them a chance and and, and giving them a shot to watch them and you made a point on twitter i thought was really interesting so i want to give you a soapbox moment 
I need. I'm gonna start to start building like music soundtrack clues, little cues in here. <laughs> like I need a soapbox one. I need like team of the week. We're gonna have to figure out this. This is gonna be like some off season stuff for me. I don't. I, it won't get done, but I like the idea of it. Uh, Jamie, please take it away. Okay, so here's here's the point I made, and a lot of this comes from my very dear friends over at Tailgate Society because they have their channel that they call Degenerates, and that's where all the betters congregate. And let me tell you the kind of things that this group bets on, and that a lot of people bet on. They will bet on whatever random midday team is playing college basketball, especially now that everything's on ESPN+. Plus. So at noon on a Monday, you can bet on Hampton, and you can watch them on ESPN+. Plus. They'll do that a lot. Uh, anything overseas, uh, you get a healthy dose of ping pong. Uh, big fans of Australian rules football. All of that's to say, excellent. Betting, interesting, funny. Uh, I don't have money to throw it at it like some people do, uh, but good for them. Enjoyable pastime, great. The fact that there's literally... Nowhere to go to even begin to bet on women's college basketball still kind of blows my mind. And look, here's the thing, is that I understand that it is a business decision. So I know that all of these other sports that you can bet on, including random overseas league, including ping pong, there is somewhere a group of people that want that and that must bet on it consistently enough to create lines. And so they've got the algorithm, they have the information. So I understand that that's the barrier, but just considering, especially this year, the push to recognize women's sports, to promote it, it it's more that I'm surprised that nowhere has even tried. Because to be the one go-to for anything usually is beneficial in some way. Here, I think that it would probably not be the world's biggest market for it. But I think there's people out there. And with the kind of promotions they run for stuff here in Iowa, since they changed some of the laws around betting, they've been just throwing money at people to try and get them to download the apps. And so you can't even throw up lines for like the top couple games of the week. And I mean, I'm sure there needs to be an algorithm in place. And so that would probably be way more effort than I even would understand. But I just, I just would like to see someone try. And if they do a couple games and no one ever bets on it, fine. But when you have a game like UConn and Tennessee on ESPN, I mean, just have someone create a line. Just see what happens. I just want to see what happens. That's it. I mean, I like the sentiment because honestly, if, if we're going to be degenerate gamblers on pretty much anything, why not women's sports? But I, I also, <laughs> I mean, there is a reason, you know, that they don't currently set up a lot of lines and whether, you know, it's a, it's a combination, I think, of a couple different things. That there's not as much of an appetite to bet on women's sports because, for some reason, in the betting community, it's considered to be not as tasteful, which is really weird to me. You'll bet on, 
you know, all kinds of random things. But betting on women's sports somehow you find is weird. <laughs> uh, but but the other thing I think, too, is, you know, there is a lot of research. There is a lot that has to go into handicapping um, a lot of different competitions. And a lot of times, like with there's there's a lot more information about some of these other random things that you're seeing. Because in their home markets, those are a whole lot bigger. So there's a whole lot. There's like an information source that they can really tap into. The problem is, is that with women's basketball or other women's sports, there's not nearly a market of it. So there's not nearly as much information surrounding it. It's a lot harder to get information about the actual programs themselves to understand the teams and really kind of figure out what it is. It would take it would probably take someone handicapping and coming up with their own system to actually do it kind of independently before any of the big books would even probably consider it because there's just not that much information out there, which is, you know, kind of the whole chicken and the egg thing. <laughs> it's like, you know, to get more information about these programs, it would help to have more eyes on that, which you can do by having a bunch of people bet on it to get people to be willing to bet on it or to even set up lines for it. There probably has to be more information floating around about the programs and kind of how everything works and just making it more visible for people. So I don't know how you attack that to get it so that both of those things happen. Um, but I feel like there are definitely strides that could be made in both arenas at the same time to try to make it so that they can help each other out there. But I just, I agree with you. I don't know what the answer is for it. It would be a nice sentiment if we can, you know, make that available for people to do. I just don't know how you get bookies or, you know, people that are setting the lines to be comfortable with actually taking bets on those uh, because they have to feel like they have enough information to win, you know, or start or to make money on those before people will actually be able to start betting on them. Right. And like, that's the thing is that I just kind of fired the thought out and people agreed. And so that's the thing is like, I pride myself that I'm pretty realistic. Like I'm going to promote the heck out of women's sports, like on my own platforms. I'm not going to quote unquote, call people out for not doing enough when it's not realistic. Like we're making strides. There's a lot more that has to be done, but you know, you, you need to be realistic. Otherwise you're consistently going to be disappointed. I just feel like to even at least attempt or at least maybe there's there's I'm sure there's places out there that do market research that say, okay, would this ever be, you know, what's our next sport that we should have here at DraftKings or whatever. And I'm sure there's people that stay on top of that, but especially in something like sports betting, I don't know. I just feel like there's women out there who you could try and target. It just would be a potential different market. And I mean, I'm sure they spend a lot more time thinking about it than I do, but I would just, I just, I just want to see it. That's really all it comes down to is I think that there's realistic reasons to at least have someone attempt it at some point. And I think it would come. So TLDR, Jamie wants to see degenerate gamblers waste their money on betting on women's (laughs) sports, or at least have the option to. Yes. If you're going to waste money. If you're going to watch teams that essentially play in a high school gym, why not give the best women's teams in the sports your eyes for an hour or two? I do think there's a certain level of if you build it, they will come to to some of the stuff of if you started allowing gambling, if you started offering lines for women's games, and I think the idea would be not to try and offer from every one of them, but at least offer, especially with college basketball, I think college basketball is the right sport to start with. Um, 
unless you want to do like women's world cup and stuff, which I wonder if there's lines for that. But if you want to do women's college basketball, like maybe just do the marquee games do, or just yeah. focus on the big teams, your Yukons, your Baylors, your South Carolinas, your Stanford's and so on. And so Notre Dame's and so on and so forth. Um, I think that might be, but I do think it's a look it, unless people are actively saying, no, we don't want this within women's college basketball. I'm pretty sure the guys in Vegas, if they wanted to, could get the information and, and have the data put together through their, like through whatever computer systems they have to gather all those kinds of information and, and put lines out for games. And if you put lines out for women's college basketball, guess what? People are going to bet them. Now, it might start, it's going to be a smart start small like anything else, but it will grow over time. And I do think the betting for it will grow. And because the betting for it will grow, the interest in the sport will grow, at least from that standpoint, and people will pay more attention to it. Uh, I, I'll be interested. I'm gonna I'm gonna text Daniel, our good friend, um, who makes picks with us during college football season, and see if he's got any insight into some of this as to why maybe that doesn't happen or or what's standing in the way from it. So we'll, we'll kind of keep tabs on that. If nothing else, we'll just we'll just start offering lines for Big Twelve games, and, not allowing and people to take. I us. just find it not so allowing anybody to bet any money on them, but just make. I lines, like right? the lines. Well, that's that part lines. of it too. Is that I love looking at the line before a game and say, "Okay, what does Vegas know that I don't?" When I'm broadcasting games, if there were lines out there, I would be looking at them before the game. Most broadcasters do. Most fans in general do. Yeah, look, I have no I interest just, in gambling, but in the last like year and a half, I've yeah. really started listening to betting pods because they talk a lot more about the X's and O's and how it affects the lines that come out mm-hmm. and what you can kind of glean, you know, from how people compete or how they, you know, match up against the spread and all of that and how like what it tells you about the team themselves. So, I mean, it's it's definitely an interesting angle, even though I one, I don't have the money to, and I don't ever really have the desire to do any of the betting on it. It's still interesting information to have, um, and I do think that there's enough interest there that if they could get it going, that I'm sure someone would start betting on it. Um, but yeah, I mean, it, it's just, I don't know. It's one of those weird things I think, too, is also part of the problem is that probably the easiest sport to do that on would be women's basketball. Um, but college basketball is probably one of the harder sports to get started on betting on. So unless you're already betting elsewhere and kind of get into it because you want something to do when there's no football going on. Um, I know a lot of people don't necessarily really like a, a lot of people that I know that bet or that talk about betting don't like to talk about betting on college basketball because there's so much variance. It's so hard to set up a good system to be able to make any money. So especially professional betters don't like it nearly as much, um, you know, unless you have inside information on particular programs or particular conferences. Daniel says it's his favorite sport to bet. He puts more, he puts more bets down for college basketball than anything else now it's pure it's less to do with the team as it is um just historical data that's what he bases everything off of he doesn't actually pay attention to to say like oklahoma state this year's got Cade cunningham or baylor this year which Mm -hmm. like it's more to do with like let's look historical data and situations and yeah i i listened to that episode you had with him he's literally the only professional better that i know of that likes college basketball betting more than betting for football so (laughs) Fun stuff. Hey, we like Daniel. He's a cool guy. The Highball Network is your new home for podcasts that meet you at the intersection of sports and entertainment. Featuring personalities like Christine Butterfield, Madison Morris, Randy Heights, and Ryan Chapman, the Highball Network will keep you entertained while delivering high-level analysis across the entire spectrum of sports. The Winning Women podcast preaches female empowerment and covers stories of perseverance and breakthroughs for women in sports. 
Sideline Warning delivers fast-paced commentary on sports all across the national landscape, complete with plenty of roasts. And for you Sooner fans out there, the Heisman Park Rangers covers the entirety of OU athletics, from football to softball and everything in between. Like the Highball Network on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at Highball Network to stay up to date on all our latest projects. You can find Highball Network podcasts on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. So I guess that's enough betting talk. Andy, let's talk about Kansas for a minute. Do we have to? We're going to talk Kansas hoops. Here's the here's the deal I've come to. Do we have to? Yes. We're going to talk Kansas hoops. I want Kansas right. fans to listen to us, and I feel like this is the only way to do it. No, I'm kidding. We love you, Kansas oh, fans. Oh, gosh. <laughs> Bad timing there, Andy, Bad Andy's, timing. Andy's not enough to get Kansas fans, so I don't know what else we're going to do. Like, let's just... Do you want me to start telling you Kansas football is is good? I don't want to lie to people. That would be mean. Um, the Kansas women won a game this past week. Heck yeah, they did. I felt like the way you just said that was really like, con- congrats, they won a game. Like, let's be nice to Kansas. They don't have baseball seasons. Over They're two and three. They're right solidly in the middle of the conference. They've got a heck of go. a freshman, too. So with Kansas basketball for me for this year, it's not that Kansas is bad by any means or any stretch of the imagination. I know that it's the third – they've had three-game losing streak, and that hasn't happened since, what was it, 2013? It was like OSU, OU, TCU, or some version of that. I think that's what it was. I know OSU was one of them. Um, yep. That Was the was that the Marcus Smart backflip game? I'm, I'm pretty sure it was OSU, uh, TCU, and then OU. I knew it was like, those, those three. Those three games. I couldn't, remember the com- I couldn't remember the order. I thought that was the combination. And, and Bill Self said it. Best, I think, is, quote, I don't think that we're talented enough not to have a hard stretch when you were not playing well on the road against teams that are tournament teams. Um, and I think for Kansas this year, Kansas this year looks more like a normal basketball team with, with highs and lows that we're used to seeing from Kansas. Kansas usually looks like what Baylor looks like this year. They've got a couple All-Americans, and they may have, as a team, bad games, but someone's going to take over, like Jared Butler did against Oklahoma State on Saturday. And... Kansas is going to pull it out because that's what they did because they would have so much more talented teams than everybody else. They were able to do so and, and and were used to doing so. And this year, it's not that Kansas isn't talented. It's not that they don't have a good roster. It's just that they're not what we expect from Kansas. It's kind of that expectation thing like this Kansas is a good basketball team, but compared to what we know of Kansas, it's not up to their normal level. So it feels like, well, this is a bad it's a bad Kansas team. It's a bad Kansas team, but it's not a bad basketball team. Am I am I right here, Andy? Yeah, really what it comes down to for the Jayhawks this year is that, you know, we are so used to Kansas having a really talented upperclassman, uh, at least one. And like even in their rebuilding year, you know, their quote unquote rebuilding years, they have at least one extremely talented upperclassman who can really kind of push them through tough times. Um or if they don't have, you know, like an all-American level or all-conference level, you know, senior, then they have very, very uh, experienced seniors who can kind of weather the storm for them, but really talented freshmen. This year, they just, they don't have that combination. What they have is a bunch of guys who have a bunch of talent, but they're all really young. They're all freshmen and sophomores, and they're they're, they're struggling in the kind of situations. And, and Marcus Garrett, you know, as the point guard for them is not doing what they need him to do to really kind of make it all gel together. And they don't really have a very good, you know, game down low. Like this is, this is what most people 
would think of as kind of a building up year where you go from being a bad program, you know, to this is like the team that you get really excited about that you're building things for the next year. And then you're going to have a really, really good showing in the next year, potentially, you know, you know, compete for the top of the conference for Kansas. This is their rebuilding slash reloading year. Like this is the year that they have when everything goes horribly wrong and they're not playing up to the standards that we're used to seeing from a Kansas program. You know, it could be a whole lot worse. We could be like Kentucky Duke, you know, all these other teams, North Carolina, where their worst year, they're not making the NCAA tournament right now. If, you know, if, if we're looking at the seating right now, I have a hard time saying that Kansas drops below a four or five because they still have a good resume from their non-conference. You know, they still have some really good wins. They have a talented team. They can get it turned around. They're just going through a stretch right now. And Bill Self hasn't found that magic combination that really works to get them to where they need to be. They still have time to do it. It sucks right now. If you're a Kansas fan, who's used to them, you know, competing for the big 12, if not winning it outright by a few games, like we've all accepted. I think at this point that they're not going to be competing for the big 12 conference title this year. Um, but that's okay. You know, they don't have to win every year. It, it felt like they did, but right, they really don't. It's fine if they don't win it for more than one year in a row. Um, and so like, this is gonna, you know, it, it sucks, but this is also a team that is extremely talented. They are developing quite rapidly. Jalen Wilson is an absolute stud at this point, and he's a freshman. And, you know, there's a good chance that he's going to be coming back for at least one more year. Or actually, he's definitely coming back next year. I haven't heard any kind of talk about him leaving early. And, you know, there's there's a good chance coming in from, from his camp. They're, they're talking about he may be here for two more years. Um, in which case, Kansas is going to have a really, really good, you know, a guy out there on the wing, play power forward, all that stuff for a long time that they can kind of build this team around. So I expect Kansas to be really good next year. Um, you know, kind of seeing how the rest of the conference kind of shapes up at this point, but like, this is going to be a really good big 12 conference even for the next three or four years, just with all the guys that you have and all the depth that we have and all these great coaches that are in the conference. So it's going to be a lot more entertaining the next few years. And this is kind of one of those years, like if you're not a Kansas fan, this is as entertaining as the conference has ever been. Like there is, there's all kinds of really good teams all over the place. And, and like you said, it's not that Kansas is a bad team this year. It's they are a decent team that is in absolutely, I think the strongest conference top to bottom of anyone in a really, really long time. I don't care what the national media says about the big 10 and how the big 10 basketball conference is just absolutely so phenomenal. I would put the big 12 up against them, you know, top to bottom all over the place. I still think that this big 12 conference is the deepest it's ever been. And it's the deepest conference of any conference in the nation this year. Agreed. No, I absolutely agree. And if we're Kansas, think of it this year. Texas is going to lose a lot. Baylor's going to lose a lot. Texas Tech has a lot of grad transfers. Like I, and they'll get more. But you look at some of the other challengers this year, they're all going to lose a lot. And, and, and sure, Texas will probably land a really nice class. And Baylor is going to have, I think, Baylor's class for next season is – ridiculous like if i remember correctly like that 2021 class is crazy good but for kansas like if you have a dip this year if dip dip is fifth in the conference like i know that sounds like a big dip but for kansas if that's your dip when you're young they're gonna shoot right back up there next year like i i do think baylor is going to continue to be good year in and year out if shaka really has gotten this figured out at texas they're gonna be good on a regular basis so there's gonna be new more consistent challengers to kansas texas tech uh, with what Chris Beard is doing there. I do think there are going to be more consistent challenges to Kansas than we've really seen in a long time. We usually see Kansas and some other team, some other team, some other team. So I, I will be 
I will be interested to see um, kind of what happens with Kansas uh, next year. I do again, seven teams in the tournament out of a ten-team conference. I understand the Big Ten might get like eleven teams in, which is I don't know, they're not that good. They're good, but they're not that good. But I get it. It's gonna be interesting. I love the Big Twelve. It's, it's great this year. It really is. Yeah, the one thing that I will say. There's no guarantee that Texas is going to lose a bunch of guys because unless they are thinking that they're going to play professionally right away, like because of what the NCAA did eligibility wise, everybody can come back. So like we could see theoretically, we could see this entire Baylor team back next year. Same with Texas. I don't think that they will. There are going to be guys that are ready to go um, that are going to move on. But I get the feeling that this is going to be a year where more people are going to stay than you probably think would have in any normal circumstance. Because you also have to think, like, NBA draft-wise, a lot of stuff is going on weird there. Um, you know, this COVID pandemic is really reverberating through all of sports, and so there's a lot of weird things happening in every aspect of every single sport. So I wouldn't be surprised to see a lot of these teams bringing back a whole lot more than you actually think that they should or or, or, or that they would. We'll see. I've been shocked by the number of guys who've come back in football, so maybe I should prepare myself for something similar in, in basketball. I, I would still be a little bit surprised if you had a lot, but it, it won't surprise me if a few come back. Uh, Andy, I, I want to talk Kansas football for just a minute, for just, just a minute, which is a 60 second start now. No. Okay. <laughs> <Go ahead. laughs> um, so two things I want, I want, uh, I want a short answer. I don't want a long answer because I have a, a follow up for this. What do you think should be realistic expectations for less miles next year? I know that sounds like a big question, but I mean, like, just from a, a standpoint of, of progress, better record, like, what do you think should be realistic expectations in a in a year, th- was it three for less miles? Uh, yeah, so it'll be year three. I mean, it's hard to figure out what the metric should be. I don't even know that there necessarily should be a metric, and that's the, the difficult part, because this is another really weird like off season, the recruiting is still getting better and better. Um, and honestly, if the offensive line doesn't get fixed, it's not like you can say like the offense is going to look any better if the offensive line is still atrocious. Um, so like you can't use offensive improvement as a metric. And if, of course, if the offensive line isn't fixed, you can't use wins as a metric because they're probably not going to win more than one game, you know, against an FCS opponent uh, if their line is not very good. So, I, I'm having a hard time coming up with what I think needs to happen to say that it's successful, you know, or to say that Les Miles has not been an abject failure at this point, other than the fact, like, I don't think it's really going to matter what happens on the field. He's going to get, you know, another one or two years after this year anyway. Um, and so I think at this point, you just need to have good feelings around the program. You need to have a lot of guys that aren't transferring that weren't expected to leave anyway, um, which is kind of one of the things that I think a lot of people are, overreacting about with all the transfers that they have, you know, after this year. But um, so that's my short or my extremely long way of answering a short question by saying, uh, who the hell knows? So that, that was kind of my thing. Like you look at the transfers and this is why my, this is my concern. Seven wide receivers are leaving, uh, including, you know, Andrew Parchment who went to Florida state. You're losing three offensive linemen. And I believe one of those was a, a former walk on, if I remember correctly, uh, Appy Mann. You lose two defensive linemen, two linebackers, uh, five defensive backs, and, and I mean, a punter, but you you can find lots of those. Meanwhile, um, 24-7 Sports put out their rankings of the 10 most difficult schedules for 2021, and on that list is Kansas. 
Their road schedule includes probably preseason top 10 Iowa State, Texas, who will probably be ranked in the preseason, whether they should be or not, Oklahoma State, probably ranked in the preseason Coastal Carolina, and TCU, who I think everyone's going to probably put as the like, if someone gets to the title game besides Iowa State or Texas and Oklahoma, TCU is someone you should keep an eye on for, for very good reasons. Oh, and of course, they still have Oklahoma, who they get at home, but it's not like, you know, whoop-de-doo. That's, and look, they have to go to Duke, and Duke is kind of garbage right now. It's still a road game at a Power 5 opponent. Ideal. This doesn't seem like like an ideal schedule for a program trying to turn things around if you want to show progress in year three, which you would like to ideally do. Even at a place like Kansas, like this just doesn't like this does not bode well for me for Kansas and anyone who's like, well, Texas Tech's gonna be worse. I, they might be, but record wise, good grief, this schedule is not good. Yeah, no. So I, I think it's fair to say that the only Big Twelve win that Kansas has an opportunity to get next year is Texas Tech, because they're the only team that is going to be bad enough that Kansas could jump up and get them. Um, and I'm not saying that they will get them. I'm just saying it's probably the only one. I am I am officially off of the Kansas is going to beat Texas in football bandwagon, partly because Tom Herman's not there anymore, so it's not going to be nearly as much fun. Um, but, you know, the other thing to kind of th- think about here, you, you talked about the numbers of guys that were gone, but what you have to remember is that the vast majority of those guys, I think all but like four of them or five of them maybe, were seniors who are taking advantage of the extra year of eligibility and deciding not to do that at Kansas, which I can't blame them at all. There were guys that Kansas was already planning on most of them being gone anyway, because either because they were going to be good enough to go to the, to the NFL, um, or, you know, they were going to graduate and they have recruited over those guys already. Um, so it's one of those things like, these are a lot of guys that they were not expecting to be in the program next year. There are a few of them that hurt Stefan Robinson. I think like they were expecting big things from him next year. Um, but you know, their recruiting class has a lot of high, like, three-star wide receivers, guys that they were expecting to come in and, and have a role immediately. So like Stefan Robinson probably wasn't going to have as big of a role as we all would have liked him to next year anyway, because there's just going to be so many guys that are trying to, you know, get catches that are going to try to be productive in this offense. And, you know, being completely honest, this offense is probably not going to be as productive as a lot of people want it to be to have enough room for all the guys that are going to be in there. So not to mention the fact you have guys like Luke Grimm who have really come on, um, you know, so you have other people that have started to step up and you've recruited wide receivers. I think they also kind of knew a lot of this was coming um, because they recruited so many wide receivers that we were a little bit surprised by it. But when all the transfers started happening and it kind of snowballed from there, it's like one, we should have seen that a lot of these guys were probably going to go anyway because they either had NFL aspirations and needed to go somewhere where they could actually get showcased um, for one final year or, you know, they were probably going to be recruited over anyway. So like, it's not a huge concern. Obviously you don't like to lose a whole bunch of guys and it's not going to be as big of a bump for them getting back to the right side of the scholarship situation as we were hoping. Um, But it's not going to be the end of the world. What I was more concerned about. And so I actually went ahead and looked at it was the, was the offensive lineman that left because obviously that's the biggest hole on this Kansas roster. Um, The guys that did leave um, Appy main was, was the one that I was, you know, the most concerned with, because he was supposed to be, you know, one of their, one of their better offensive linemen going into next year. Um, There was an injury issue that he had towards the end of the year. There were some other things kind of going on. 
Um, I don't know all of the details surrounding it, but I think it's safe to say that there was a relationship issue that kind of soured during all of that going on. Um, and there was there was some chemistry issues in terms of with the rest of the offensive linemen as well. And so I don't know a lot of the details. I don't want to throw a bunch of shade on, but it sounded like it was better for everybody for him to just move on um, for his own personal situation, for the team chemistry situation, for everything going on there. Um, and, and the other two guys were not guys that were expected to be starters next year. They weren't guys that were expected even to necessarily be huge depth next year. Um, and yes, you want everybody in that room that you possibly can have. But I also think that this, this, you know, offensive line needed a huge shakeup anyway. And so if a couple guys want to leave because you're bringing in a bunch of guys, you know, and they brought in some decent offensive linemen, including some guys that were local um, and some preferred walk-ons as well that are, you know, supposed to be kind of helping with the depth in the room and all of that. I mean, it's, it's still a, a big rebuild for them, but I, I also think these are the kind of steps that you have to take to do a rebuild when you have a bunch of guys that either haven't been successful or aren't really at the level of athleticism that you need in that room for the kind of system you want to try to run. So, I mean, I think it's a combination of, you know, new offensive line coach, kind of new system that they want to run, cleaning house a little bit, letting guys go ahead and move on to wherever else they want to go. Um, It's not a huge sign for concern yet, but obviously it could be pretty quickly if things don't get turned around pretty quickly. Um, But I I still have no, uh, no clue what's going to happen. Um, you know, and if, like you said, they've got one of the most difficult schedules in all of NCAA football next year, like they're going to have to take licks early and learn from them and then just try to be competitive towards the end of the year. I I guess really that's the metric is how competitive are they in their final three or four games of the season? If they can go into those three or four games and be very competitive in those games, even if they still lose them all, then I think you have to feel good about the direction the program is heading. And then the real expectations start the next year. And that has been our Kansas football 2021 season preview. That's the last we will talk about them. <laughs> Agreed. <laughs> um, okay, to wrap up today, another big news this past week, uh, the Big 12 released the 2021 baseball conference schedule. I'm very excited. I'm ready for college baseball. The season literally starts next month. It's like three weeks, so I think. Uh, the weekend of February, like, valentine's day weekend i think is like opening weekend for everything if that tells you how close things are getting no it's the weekend after 19th to 20th uh, of the opening weekend one thing i want to note of non-conference with big 12 there is the state farm college baseball showdown at call uh, globe life field that has three big 12 teams versus three sec teams number three texas tech number five well let me go to this our good friends at College Baseball Nation, all the rankings I'm going to go off of theirs. I should go off DB1, but all the rankings, college baseball rankings-wise, are all, all over the map right now. So we're going to use College Baseball Nation because we like them. Uh, number three, Texas Tech. Uh, number nine, TCU. And number 12, Texas. Versus number five, Ole Miss. Number six, Arkansas. And number eight, Mississippi State. All three Big 12 teams will play all three SEC teams. If you are a fan of baseball or college baseball, they will have tickets for that available. They will sell seats. If I thought I could get away... I would go to that because that is going to be awesome, and I hope it is available for all of us to view. Uh, but the conference schedule is out. OU is the only Big 12 team I think I've seen that has released their full non-conference schedule at this point. they got some fun games on there. There's another, uh, I believe it's the Frisco Classic, where they're facing off against, I don't know, the, the teams in that have changed a dozen times. Actually, Baylor is also there. Uh, because I know you will Baylor face a non-conference game. Weird. So, 
College baseball is over this year. I'm very excited about that, which also college softball is almost here. Very excited about that. Uh, if you are a fan of Big 12 college baseball or softball, go check out our last two episodes. We had the College Na- Baseball Nation boys on to talk baseball. We had Chris Plank on last week to talk Big 12 softball. Because I'm, I'm, I am pumped for both sports. I am pumped for baseball and softball season. College baseball, college baseball postseason is the best collegiate postseason after March Madness. It is baseball March Madness. You got all your regionals, your supers, your World Series, college baseball and all day. I'm not a huge baseball fan. I, do you guys like baseball? I don't know. I'm. Oh, yeah. Uh, it's, it's a little long for me, and Iowa State doesn't have it. No. I'm excited for softball. I do like softball. I might be covering it a little bit. We'll see. Ooh, we'll see what happens. I need to exciting. probably check in on that. You should find that out because that'll be fun to talk about. Uh, if you're uh, if you're color, covering it, uh, and we'll have look just, just more reasons to be excited to have Jamie on the pod. Andy's <laughs> stepping up a bit, man. Like, come on, Andy. Why didn't you have the good sense to be born into a college athletic department? Oh God! Oh, <laughs> if I was born and then into go to school co- for journalism. Yeah. <laughs> hey, I have my own merits. I won't. I won't say it's all my mom, but it doesn't hurt. <laughs> all right uh, i think this is a perfect place to end i don't know if we're gonna talk about anything else but i uh, will we'll save it for later uh of course give us a follow on twitter at 1012 podcast t and the number 12 the word podcast give us a follow on instagram at 1012 pod uh we're done with instagram lives for a little while we're gonna take a break due to scheduling changes and things of that nature however we will continue to post exclusive content graphics photos videos on there uh so follow us on the gram follow us on twitter uh Check out our sponsors. Thanks to them. Very excited to have them here on the show. Uh, go give Jamie a follow on Twitter at jstyz, J-S-T-E-Y-Z. And, of course, Andy as well, at AndyMitts12, M-I-T-T-S. Uh, Andy, we're going to get done here. You're still going to have about three and a half minutes left of this game between the the Chiefs and the Bills. You can go check that out, finish that game up. Go Chiefs. Please beat Tom Brady because – Oh, gosh, yes, please. Gross. <laughs> Just gross. We Just... will all be Chiefs fans. Uh, quick question. Let's ask this. Um, if Tom Brady announced that if they won the Super Bowl, he would immediately retire, would you be okay with him winning the Super Bowl? No. I would. I, I considered it for about two and a half seconds, but no. <laughs> I didn't even think about it. That yeah. those words didn't even reach Look, my brain. Before I have a co- I, I have a coworker who is a long suffering Bucks fan, and knowing just how much pain I was in with the Chiefs before they won the Super Bowl last year, I can empathize with him. And so that's where the two and a half seconds came from. Not necessarily <laughs> thinking about Tom Brady. Fair enough. All right, guys, we'll be back on Thursday with some guests. We are going to talk about a sport we have not had a guest on for in the Big 12 on Thursday. I'm very excited for that. Uh, And I don't know what else we'll talk about, but probably football-related. Let's just say that. It'll be football. We'll see. All right. Podcast Network.